So we continue today uh, the series of 52. Um, the inspiration again for this series comes from the book of Nehemiah. Uh, principles uh, from that book and how they apply to us. Um, we'll get into a minute. That's kind of the key passage. But last week we began to look at this idea of prayer. Um, that, that, that Nehemiah, and, and historically, remember the children of Israel were scattered uh, throughout uh, the region because of disobedience, because of sin. Um, again, if you were just joining us and giving you a little bit of a backdrop, but because of sin and disobedience, Israel, back in the Old Testament days, and from the prophets, God would use the prophets to say, come back to God. Uh, to appeal to the people to say, do it God's way. It, it's no different uh, than the, um, today that the Holy Spirit in us is He is speaking of and He is calling us to the Lord to, to be with God, to walk with God. And back in the Old Testament days, God would speak all of them to the prophets. They would speak to the people. And, uh, and last week we kind of talked about how Jesus, because of His death and the, and, and, and the resurrection of Christ, that we have access to the Father, that we don't need a prophet to go behalf of us, that we can go to Him directly. And, uh, and, and so we, we kind of unpacked that a little bit last week. But historically, at this time, the people of Israel have been scattered because of disobedience and sin. The consequences of the sin, there are consequences to sin. Next week, we're going to get into, um, and we're going to stay kind of in this mode of prayer, but we're going to be talking about repentance and, and God's call to get, get right with Him and, and to walk with Him. I'm excited about that. Continue to invite people. I'm very excited about this, this, this whole series and where God wants to take us and where He wants to speak to us. So, in, in, in Israel's history, you have been disobedient, you have been sinful, God speaks to prophets, and now we have them scattered throughout the region. They've been taken captive. The walls of Jerusalem are torn down at this time in Nehemiah's history. Nehemiah, who is a cup bearer of the king, gets word that the, that the walls are torn down. He's grieved. God calls him ultimately to, to be a leader among the people to rebuild the wall. And this book, again, it is, there's a lot of amazing principles that speak to us, and I think that speak to the church and the calling of God on the church and that his calling. For each of us. And so when, when Nehemiah gets word that the walls are torn down, he immediately he's greeted, he goes, the first thing he does is he begins to pray. And that's where we start this whole series in 52 is a, is a time of prayer. Uh, the key passage, let's go ahead and look at that next. Um, this is the good news of this story. Nehemiah 6.15, I like to I like to start with the good news and start with the end of the story. And it says, so on October the second the wall was finished, fifty-two days after we had begun. And so they were able to go into places that was broken out of shambles. And God gave them grace and they were in unity and, and but there was there was warfare and uh, we're gonna be talking about that in a few weeks, but um, the enemy did not want them to rebuild the wall, but they stuck to what God had called them to. They kept their eyes on the Lord, and just 52 days after they had begun, they were able to rebuild the wall. And that, again, is kind of prophetically speaking to us that no matter where you're at, what's going on in your life, the things that you may have thought are shattered to a thousand pieces, and God could not do anything with it. When He calls it to Himself, He can begin to do miracles among us and in our heart and rebuild that which is broken through the power of of Jesus and to the power of the Spirit. And so we have, we, we, we have Nehemiah getting word, and the place he begins is prayer. 
And we hear a lot about prayer. Again, I talked a little bit about this, so this is kind of a, a, we're going to be talking, kind of picking up where we left off last week. But, you know, as a kid, I, you know, being raised in a, a kind of a legalistic church environment, I was, I mean, as far as I can remember, back five years old, um, you know, that that's about my earliest memories. I remember us going to church all the time. But the, 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 the church background that I was in was very legalistic. You, you almost feared hell more than you loved God. Some of you guys might understand that. Maybe you were raised in that. Um, loving God and walking with God and knowing God was somewhat of a, of a foreign concept to me. Um, I was just afraid to go to hell. And, and, and God was your guy that got, kept you out of hell. And that's why you liked him, or at least prayed to him. And so that can, uh, that can dictate your prayer life and how you're raised and your thoughts of God. And when you think about God and these images that we have, you know, how you were raised or what you went through, maybe you went through some difficult times, we can kind of put God in this defining thing by how we were raised in our own context. And a lot of times, it's a wrong idea of who God really is. But a lot of us have that story that we see God through that lens. And so I, growing up, I, I saw God through this lens of somewhat angry, somewhat you know, over there in the corner somewhere, worried about world problems instead of my little world. And he was really not that personally acquainted with me. You know, he probably, I probably believe that he knew who I was, but personally, you know, he's got more, he's got bigger things. He's got to run the universe. That's a pretty big job. In my little world, I didn't think that he saw much of that. And so, as a kid, I remember just kind of almost living my life with the Lord, almost in fear a lot. I don't want to make you angry with me. And that's kind of how I walked with the Lord. God, I just don't want to make you angry with me. And it wasn't until later on that I began to see the love of God, that he desired me that he created me because he wants to know me. And when I started getting a little bit of that revelation, it, it, it actually changed everything for me. Again, not that we just live any kind of life we want to. There are, God calls us to things, He calls us to holiness, but we must begin into a place where he, knowing he loves me and he wants to know me, and therefore I want to love him and please him. And so Nehemiah begins a place of prayer when he hears the word. Let's look at that again. Look at this last week. I love this story. It's a story of redemption. It's a story of rebuilding. It's a story of what God can do by restoration. So let's look at uh, the beginning of Nehemiah, Nehemiah 1. So that's why. So it says, in late autumn, the month of Kisla, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa, and Nehemiah's brightness. Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived in Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. So the people are coming back, um, and, and, and so he's getting a report. They said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. And then we pick up verse 4 here in the next slide. When I heard this, this is where he begins. I sat down and wept and sat for days and mourned, fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. 
Then I said, O oh Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. And don't you find it interesting? And I said this last week that he doesn't immediately just say, Oh God in heaven, the walls are torn down. What are you going to do about it? That is kind of typical of how we approach God in prayer. Something's going wrong. The wheels are coming off. My world is upside down. God, what are you going to do about it? He doesn't start there. Now, there is obvious that you know, he hears the word. He's broken. That he's weeping. And he's saying there's an obvious thing. The walls are torn down. But look, this is a man who understands knowing God. He immediately declares who God is. Oh, Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unveiling love. God, you're awesome and you're loving. And that's where he begins in a place of destruction. It's a powerful revelation of how God wants to know us. And again, not that it's wrong that we pray for things, but I, I'm hoping that we begin to see this differently today. It's not that we don't ask God. It's not that we don't make our request known to God. We're going to get into that next week, how we approach God with our needs. Because we're told to, to bring those needs before Him. But we must begin in a place of relationship. The chief purpose, and I said this last week and, and in the next slide, the chief purpose of prayer is this. It's relationship with God and knowing them again. And we see, we say, the Lord God has a great awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love to those who love him and obey his commands. Here's who you are, God. You, I don't get it. I, the walls are torn down, and, and I mean, I understand everything that's going on. I know that you're great. I know that you're loving. I know that you're kind. And when our world sometimes is upside down, when, when we're going through things and we're rattled and broken and, and, and the walls in our lives are somewhat torn down, you know, it's real easy to forget who God is, right? And that's why a lot of people get disillusioned. God, I, I asked you and I prayed and you didn't do anything. But God wants us to begin to a place of knowing Him and being known by Him. It will change how you begin to pray. It will change how you see God. I love, again, that Jesus sacrificed restored relationship with God. That which was broken. Remember in the garden, God wanted to know Adam and Eve. That's why he created people. He wanted to know them and be known by them. He didn't create people because he was lonely. He's fully sufficient in himself. He created people. He created you because he loves you. And he wants to know you. And we know that sin came into the world and that broke, that shattered relationship. God could no longer be in direct contact with people for that season. That's why Jesus came. And up until that point, priests had to go before the people. They had to make sacrifices. And Jesus, the Lamb of God, died on the cross. The curtain was torn from top to bottom as if to say, now you can come in. And Jesus tells us in the house and the blood of Christ, we can boldly approach the throne of grace and you can know him and be known by him. And we don't need a priest to go in there for us. You go, you go talk to him and tell me what he said. We can do that. So Jesus, in, um, because of the cross, restored relationship with God and healed that. And when we repent of our sins and we put our trust in him, relationship is healed. 
And so knowing that, our prayer life should begin at the place of knowing God and being known by a relationship with Him. I can't say that enough. Not just what He can do for us. And so the goal of prayer, when we think of what will I pray, because the Bible, even I'm going to talk a little bit about this next week, the Bible says that He already knows what we need before we ask or think it. So then why would we talk to Him, right? You can ask that question. If you understand the chief purpose, the foundational place of prayer is knowing Him. And so the reward of prayer, the goal of prayer, is to get Jesus. It's to get Jesus. He's the point, and He's always been the point. Again, not that we don't pray specifically for things, but we begin at the place of relationship with Him. We would say this in society, you know, God has given us relationships, and I am thankful for relationships. We have marital relationships, we have family relationships, we have friendships. All of that, all that God gives us is a gift that ultimately points to the greater reality of who He is. Right? Marriage, because He's called the bridegroom, it reveals Him. Um, children and parent relationships, He's the great Father in the heavens, so relationships always point to Him. Friends, it says Jesus is a friend of sinners, right? So even friendships point to the reality of who He is. And so when we have human earthly relationships, it points to a greater reality of what God is trying to speak to us. We don't usually, now I guess there are some, but we don't usually approach even our human relationships on what I can get. That would be called a dysfunctional relationship. You don't get married and say, uh, what are you looking for? Uh, you know, what are you looking forward to when you get married? And I ask that question on our pre marriage counseling, um, you know, questionnaire that I give to people that are about to be married. They're not saying, I'm getting married for what I can get. Most of the people that say, I, I'm, I'm getting married to join my life to another human being, and, 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 and so we can grow together, we can love each other, and and it's to know them. We have relationships so we can know one another. God's no different. We don't just have relationship with Christ just so what we, out of what we can get, get from Him. We have relationship with Him to know Him and be known by Him. So He's the point. We get Him. It's about relationship, human relationships are about learning things about each other. I'm going to jump to a, a passage of scripture here um, in just a second. It's going to be up on the screen. And I'm going to give you a little, a little cushion before I show this to you because uh, it's from the book of James, New Testament. Um, James, the way James wrote, James didn't play around. If you've ever read the book of James, James did not play around. James would not be, uh, I, I, if you look at personalities, James wouldn't be a Christian counselor. Okay, he's not going to sit down with you and walk with you through a whole bunch of things about how you're feeling. He's going to just kind of, he's, he's a kind of a prophetic New Testament voice, and he basically comes at you and says, I'm going to help you, but you better buckle up. And he comes strong, and his words are strong, but now I say that, you've got to hear it from, he's one of the fathers of our faith, he's one of the apostles of, of, of the faith, and so, what he's doing is he's fathering us in a, in a loving way. 
And when he's speaking these words, he's saying, I, along with Jesus, along with God the Father, I want the best for you. It's just like when anybody here that you know you play sports or 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 you had a, a music teacher that taught you lessons. There were times when your coach they're not going to always say, you know what, buddy, I, I know I know it's hard out there on the field, and you know you didn't make that block last time, and that's okay if you don't really want to make the block. That's called a coach that's not going to win. And everybody will say he's the nicest guy in the world, but that's not a coach who's going to win the game. Sometimes they're saying, I'm trying to pull the best out of you so that we can accomplish what we were called to accomplish. And, and, and Jesus would sometimes give us strong words and he'd say, because of my love for you. And remember when his disciples were with him, sometimes he would say, you have little faith. And he would shake them a little bit and he was, he was lovingly coaching them and saying, I want to pull out of you the very best. Got enough questions? Let's go to James. Buckle up. James 4. He says, What's causing the quarrels and fights among you? So he's dealing with some things that are going on, and there's nothing new under the sun. There's that kind of stuff with quarrels and fighting. There's different things going on in the church. And so he says, This. Don't they come from the evil desires within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it from them. Now, I don't necessarily think that he's talking to it, and this is a, this is a letter that was written to many churches, and they were they would distribute among themselves. And I don't necessarily think he's talking about like actually physically killing someone, but he says, you know, with your words, you are you're killing others. You're, you're, there's these things that are happening within you, and you're scheming, you're manipulating to get what you think you want. And then you wage the world and you don't get it. And he says, yeah, you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask and watch this, even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. He said, you want only what will give you pleasure. Doesn't get any easier. Next verse. You adulterers. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate and that the spirit he has placed on us should be faithful to him. And he gives grace generously. Amen. As the scripture said, God opposes us all, but he gives grace to the humble. So humble yourself before God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. See, and I've seen that scripture quoted a lot, maybe up on your fridge. But if you read it in context, he's saying a lot more to you. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Come close to God. And God will come close to you. There's the intention of God, right? God wants you close. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. For your loyalty is divided between God and the world. And if you look at this in context again, what, what, what James is saying is your prayer life is praying with the wrong motives. You're praying with you in mind. You play, or you're praying for selfish reasons, for impure motives, for what you can get out of it. And that's what's driving your prayer life. 
And then he begins, you know, he's saying these quarrels and stuff among you, and then he ends up talking about pride, and that's what he's getting at. He said, you know what drives quarrels and fighting among you? It's the pride. Spiritual pride. You place yourself up here, and you presume to know what, you know, I, I know everything, and I'm going to inform everybody else of everything. You can humble yourself. Walk in humility. Walk in your need of God, understanding that you need God. And then he says, draw close to God. God wants to be close to you, but pray with the right motives. You don't get what you have because you're praying selfishly. Again, challenging word, but see the heart behind it. Don't be offended by it. It's the Word of God. Don't be offended by it. Say, God, point out those areas in my life. Lord, help me to stay humble. Help me to stay close to you. So why do we pray? Do we pray just to get what we think God should give us? And he even says that's, that's kind of a worldly way of thinking because he even likens that into being like the world. He said, if you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. And so if you're praying self-centered prayers, that's kind of a worldly way of thinking. It's all about me and what I can get. And he says he wants the Spirit of God within us to be faithful to him. So what is this? It's, again, self-centered prayer. It's presumptive prayer. What's a presumptive prayer? It's assuming we know what God should or shouldn't do. It's approaching God saying, I know what you're supposed to do, so I claim this and I name that and I claim that and because God, I know. Instead of saying, God, I humbly approach you, I want to know you, and then I'm going to have the mind of Christ, and then you're going to show me what I need in relationship. Humble yourself before God. And so that's the driving point of this passage, is come close to God. Draw near to God. He always brings it back to relationship. And then he uses that hard, hard word, you adulterers. Why does he use that word? Well, the simple definition of an adulterer is you've been unfaithful in relationship, right? And James is saying is that, is that when you, when you're, you're, you're like an adulterer in that your affection, your heart is towards the Lord. It's towards the things of this world. Old Testament prophets used to use this analogy. Isaiah used it, Ezekiel used it, Jeremiah used it, and he said, you, you, have, you have strayed away from God and you've strayed to other lovers. And, and it's kind of using, again, an analogy, not an actual physical sense, but he said, you were created to worship and know God, and you have forsaken that, and you've gone after other things to satisfy your heart. The things of this world. It's a temptation for all of us. Again, it's not just an Old Testament thing. James tells us in the New Testament, it's, it's even to just forsake God, forsake knowing God, forsake relationship with God, and do it my way, and chase after things that I think are going to bring me satisfaction and contentment. So it's all, always, it's this call that God wants to know you. That's what James is close to God. He wants to go close to you. Come close to Him. Cast away your misplaced priorities and put God first. And so in prayer, sometimes we see these two extremes. Again, the first one is what we just saw, praying with the wrong motives. Praying selfishly, praying presumptively. Or praying 
in emergency situations. God, get me out of this and I will serve you forever. Saw that doing jail ministry when I was in Florida. God, if you get me out of this circumstance and this mess, I will worship you forever. Or how many times have we say this one? God, if you get me out of this, I'll never do that again. I think God sometimes smiles and says, yeah, yeah, you'll do it again. But I want to know you. I want to walk with you. And then the other extreme sometimes is I'm, I'm unworthy to talk to God. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm so ashamed of my past and my sins and all of the failures that are constantly on my mind and the enemy will constantly remind you of how you fall short the same condemnation, guilt, and we just say, it's so hard for me to pray because I feel unworthy of prayer. Guys, Jesus made a way. It's not based on our own righteousness, it's based on the righteousness of Christ, who we are in Christ, that we can boldly approach the throne of grace. And he says, there's no shame and no condemnation that will dictate your life. That we can come to him every day. He wants to draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. And so when we begin at this place of knowing him, the starting place, then when we pray for other things or other people, when we bring our needs before God, again, we get this heart. So we get the mind of Christ just as he said the And so prayer is about relationship with him. In Genesis 15, God tells Abram, he says this, he says, before God changed his name to Abraham, he says, I am your exceedingly great reward. Right? And at that time, Abram was following God. God said, go to a place that you know, that, that you know, I'm just, just leave your home and I'll tell you when, when, when you get there. And so he just kind of in faith, let, you know, so he had a lot of questions. And God spoke to him, I will be your exceeding great reward. God is a reward. He's even called a friend of God. And so when we understand this revelation, it helps us not to be disappointed when our prayers aren't answered the way we think they should be, Right? He says there's some struggle and they're devastated when they approach God with requests and then He doesn't answer in the way they think that He should. I've seen it. I've witnessed it. You know, God, do this, please, and I'll serve you. God, and, and some people say, well, I, you know, and I talk to people about prayer. Well, I try prayer and He doesn't answer my prayers. He didn't hear me, and I prayed for so-and-so, and then maybe they were sick, or I, I, I prayed for provision, and it didn't happen, and we, we, we just dealt with it. I tried that, and it doesn't work, but when we understand that we get Him, that's always been the point. Getting to know Him, the different attributes of who He is. So when we do this, He becomes the answer to our prayer. That's why, you know, the names of God, and if you do that study in the Bible, there's so many different names of God, or Christ is called so many different things, the different attributes of who He is. And so we pray for this, God give me peace, guess who we get? Jesus, the Prince of Peace, right? And so He's with us, maybe instead of getting us out of a situation, He walks with us through it. And sometimes He will rescue us out of it. Sometimes He does miracles and He doesn't. But a lot of times He is He's walking with us through it. 
He becomes our joy. God gives you joy. I'm depressed, and so we get Him. And not just temporary happiness. He becomes our contentment. He Himself becomes our hope. So when we talk to Him and we have a relationship and we read the Word to get to know Him, not that it's not about just being head knowledge. So Lord, you show me who you are, then it brings us into a place that the Word is. And we see that He's holy, He's awesome, He's loving, He's kind, He's gracious, He's merciful. We see Him as a loving discipliner and not just as a harsh taskmaster. You're, you're disciplining because you're treating me like a son, you love me. You see Him as mighty and tender, strong, powerful, perfectly just, and all knowing. Folks, we'll never get to the end of who God is. I mean, He, he is so far above who we are, but He'll show us different attributes of Himself. And there's a few of us that heard the guy just talk about this. Um, and we sing the song this morning, and in heaven, we, uh, we see this passage in Revelation where it says, day and night, night and day, there, there's a multitude around the throne, and they continually go, holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, who is, come, holy. And you think when you read that, that sounds really boring that they just continue to do it. Or that, or that just this kind of rehearsing. No, what they're doing is they're seeing different attributes of who God is, and it just makes them go, "Oh, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was to win to." And then they see something different about Him, and then they see something different about Him, and it makes them worship Him. Worthy, worthy is the Lamb who is slain. And we see different things about him that makes us cry holy. And this doesn't just have to happen in heaven. This can happen with us when we read the word, when we get to know him. That's why when we walk throughout the day, we're told to pray without preaching. It's not just that we're mumbling prayers all day. It's that we recognize that he's there, that he's in a relationship. And we say, God, thank you for your grace. Lord, thank you for your mercy. Because we're told to continually pray and to continually be thankful. It's just these different attributes, and we can have our own holy, holy, holy moments. God, you are good. Lord, thank you for that divine appointment. Thank you that I see it's recognizing that he's there all the time. In the mundane, in the everyday, in the things that may seem boring, that he is there. God, thank you for peace. God, thank you that you allowed me to take a breath just now. And I see him in everything that I'm alive because he's allowing me to be alive. And it makes me feel holy. Holy, holy, that you use me in spite of myself. That I get to be a, a pastor and I get to do this and I get to share with you guys. And I look at my past and I would have thought, you know, 25, 30 years ago, I'd have never done this. Wow, God, you're good. We see him oh, and, and, and we give him glory and honor, proclaiming who he is. And again, how we were raised and this guy that talked about the holy, holy, holy thing, he talked about our distorted view of God. And we see God through the lens of hurt. We see God through the lens of maybe our own fathers that was, it was painful. We see God through the lens of, 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 of being passive-driven and saying, uh, I want to get God to like me, so I'm going to work harder. I'm going to try to be better. And, and God wants to begin to feel those distorted views of who He is in our hearts. And that comes out through relationship. And that's the point of prayer. It's got to show me who Heal that. Heal that dysfunctional legalism that I grew up with. And that was my prayer. Lord, I, I know you're not like that. Help me just see you in a different light. He wants to heal 
those things. And that comes to relationship where he begins to show you who he is, not who someone else that you have. I'm going to finish with these two passages. Let's go to Ephesians. Look at what Paul says. Stop me asking. And when Paul writes this letter to the church in Ephesus, here's something that he keeps asking. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glory of God, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? So that you may know him better. Isn't that a beautiful piece of I keep asking for that. To give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you can know God better. Because that's what Paul, that was the driving point. I want you to know God better. Not just wisdom and revelation so that you're smarter. Not just wisdom and revelation so that you can have a few more facts known about God. It's, I want to give you wisdom and revelation because the greatest wisdom, the greatest revelation that you can have is to know God better. And that drives your prayer. And so I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope of which He's called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people. And so He's praying for them. I'm praying that you would have new eyes and you would see God differently. You would hear God differently. We had a song, you know, Open the Eyes of My Heart, Lord. I want to see you. It's seeing Him differently. It's hearing It's perceiving Him differently. And prayer to drive us to knowing Him. And that was the point here that He shows us more of who He is. And then Jesus says this in Matthew 7. And this can be one of those passages where we, it seems like this passage to me has always seemed like if you just, if you just ask enough, that you'll get what you are asking God for. You'll get what you want. And I think we've missed that. We've gotten it out of context. Because Jesus said, Ask and will be given. You speak and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks to speak, the one who speaks, find and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So it just sounds like if you ask, you can knock enough, God will give you what you're asking for. I think we've missed that. He's the point of our prayer. Because if we don't understand relationship, what we do is we're driven by just what I need, right? And a lot of times our prayers are driven by what we need. Ultimately, what we need is him. And if we change that, when we begin to shift the thinking and saying perfect prayer is knowing him, then it changes how we ask. I believe, guys, that if we ask, we are given Him. Ask, and He will be given to you. Seek, and you will find Him. Knock, and the door will be opened to you by Him. For everyone who asks receives Him. The one who seeks will find Him. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened by Jesus. He's the point He's always been point. We're going to get into next week when we pray specifically because I don't want to just leave you there. But He's the point. We're given Him. I'll close with this. I shared this a few years ago. But in, in one of the most difficult seasons of our lives, um, I think in my stuff, we were... In Tennessee, um, it wasn't difficult because it was Tennessee. Tennessee is a nice place. But, um, it was a very difficult time. We, we had a million questions. We moved away from here. You know, the youth after here, we moved away. And, um, we, we moved to Virginia for a while, then we ended up in Tennessee um, at, at this home for children, at the youth after home for children. But things were not panning out the way we thought they would. 
Because if God would have listened to me, I would have told him exactly how it should have been done. And that's a lot of times how we approach God. If you just listen to me, I'll tell you. I was asking, and it was just too much. And maybe you can maybe you can understand this. If not, you're very special. But you feel like you take a step of obedience, and you're like, whoa, and then it's nothing like you thought it was going to be. And in fact, it's like, this seems awful. This seems horrible. And you, you be, I mean, you're asking all kinds of questions. Anybody been there? Where you're in this and it feels like a fog. You feel like, I, don't, I can't see up and down. I'm just confused. I literally, when people are saying, what was, what was going on? I'm like, I was glad that I was a Christian. That's all I knew. Jesus was in my heart. That, outside of that, I wasn't sure about anything. Did I hear you right? Did I not hear you right? I thought you said this. And, well, you know, and then, and then you're taking the step of obedience, and then it seems like, you know, like this chaos and confusion was all around. And so you just start questioning everything. Do I hear God right? Do I, do I even know God? The beauty of that is it drove me to praying a lot. The bad part is I wasn't praying so right. Because I'm just like, I just need to get along with God and I need to figure out what's going on. I need answers. I mean, now. So it, was, it was hard. I mean, I, I don't wish that upon anyone. And so I'd get up really early in the morning, and uh, there was a old parsonage that was on this campus, and it was empty. Uh, nobody lived in there. So it was a great place to go in and sit and pray. And I would go in there, um, or I'd go in the sanctuary and pray at the church. But I went in, I remember one day, you know, and, and Athena and I were both, we're just groaning. We're just like, we need to figure out something. We need to do something God. And so I remember I went and I just, I mean, I was crying out to God. In that moment, I remember one specific day, the presence of the Lord, His presence was just in that room. I mean, it was absolutely wonderful. It was like He was so close to me and felt His love and His grace and mercy and you would think that that would be enough for me. I would lead those. It's amazing. That's why James would say, humble, it's amazing how we can jump from the spirit to the flesh like that. And so I would have this beautiful time where the Lord was just ministering His presence to me. And I would leave there and I would go home and, and Athena would shoot to the people who would speak anything from the mountain. She would just say that, no answers. I'd just been, it just been this amazing, keep the beautiful presence of God. It was like, nope, didn't give me any answers whatsoever. We're like, you know, just God, I'll see you tomorrow, you know. Um, and so it took a little bit of time, you know, and maybe I'm different, but it takes me a little bit to get some things squared away. But the Lord spoke something very profound to me. And again, I've shared this a few years ago, but, but uh, I was one day I was just like, I don't, I don't get it. You're here with me, and you won't tell me anything. Are, am I your child or what? Now, I, I was just being really honest with God. I was just going to have those moments. You know, I, don't, I don't get it. I'm your son. I thought, I thought as a good dad, you would be wanting to tell me things, and I'm asking, and I think that I'm asking with the right, because I don't want to be dumb, and I want to take the right steps, and why aren't you speaking to me? And it was very, very clear what the Lord spoke in my heart in those next moments. He said, you want answers. I want nearness. You want answers, I want you close. Because I'm what you need right now. And it was just, it, it just broke me. 
say, God, forgive me for how I've been praying. And so I begin to approach God more. God, I want to know you. And God, He will direct us. He will speak. He will. But in those moments, God, He wants to know you. That's why He created you. That should be the driving force of your prayers. Is God, I want to know you. And yes, I'll ask for things, but I want to know you because He's the point. He's always the point. We're told to ask for things, but don't forget, He is the chief purpose of prayer. Please stand here. God, we love you, Lord, and uh, I pray for each of our hearts today. I pray for everyone in this room, God, that we would know you more and more every day, God, that we would approach our prayers differently. Lord, we wouldn't approach it presumptively. Lord, we wouldn't approach you in shame. Because, Lord, we humble ourselves and we can't fully know who you are because you are so great, but also, Lord, we are... We don't have to be dictated by the past and the shame and the guilt and the sin of our past, Lord God, that we can know you fresh today. We can talk to you and hear your voice and we can know your presence. Lord, I pray, God, that, uh, Lord, we all of us, would, we, we would pray more with the idea of knowing you more. We would read the Word more, not more out of past, not out of to, because that's what Christians are supposed to do. But, Lord, we would read the Bible to say, God, who are you? What are you speaking to me? I want to know you more. Show me more about who you are. Lord, let that be the driving force of our prayer to know you greater and greater. Lord, we love you, we honor you, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have an awesome day. Start this week. Get to know him more and more. Thanks for being here.